Welcome to season two of My Ministry Breakthrough, brought to you by Oxano. I'm your host, Brian Rose. This podcast is all about church leaders telling unfiltered stories of impact in the local church. We're here to celebrate and share those life-changing moments when the fog of ministry chaos clears and breakthrough clarity happens. You need to move from being a learner to a leader to a multiplier, regardless of what barrier you want to break through. So if you're at 80, if you're at 175, when you do that pastoral meeting or when you meet with a coach or when you meet with a leader, always bring someone with you and equip them and lead them. I mean, that's a that's a foundational part of a leadership pipeline. It's not the leadership pipeline, but it's a part of it. It's a practice that is helpful within it. So what does it look like for you to not just do everything, but move toward equipping? Is it possible that restlessness could be healthy or even that peacefulness could be dangerous? When is doing and accomplishing much actually hindering your ministry? How can planning to be a church at the next level beyond your current attendance barrier, actually work against you. You see, here's what I love about this conversation with Daniel M., Senior Associate Pastor of Beulah Alliance Church in Edmonton, Alberta. Yeah, that's in Canada. Most of what Daniel and I discuss is counterintuitive to most of what we have all heard or known. Even talking about Daniel's move from the southern warmth of Nashville to the almost Alaska tundra of Edmonton seems to be opposite of what you would expect. But that's why this is such an important conversation for pastors. Daniel's breakthrough is not in what he is doing or where he is doing it, but in who he is becoming. This is most evident toward the end of the episode as we talk about his new book, You Are What You Do, and six other lies about work, life, and love. Because just about every pastor I know struggles to keep their identity separate from their work at the church. Daniel's breakthrough comes in the middle of a season of restless contentment, and the moment he describes will resonate with most everyone listening. So lean in and listen up to My Ministry Breakthrough with Daniel M., Senior Associate Pastor of Beulah Alliance, Edmonton, Alberta. Give us a quick three-minute snapshot uh, of your role at Lifeway and even Kind of what God's doing in your life right now is, is he's uh, leading you and your family. Yeah. So for the last five years, I've been down in Nashville basically to, to come to Lifeway to figure out how Lifeway was going to begin resourcing church planting, multi-site multiplication. So it's crazy how the time's flown. And we started something called newchurches.com. Uh, the podcast has over 400 episodes now and uh, we do courses and articles and just a ton of different stuff on new churches. So that's been kind of the primary thing that I've done and built here at Lifeway. And, you know, my language was built, not building, because I am actually transitioning and, and moving back to Canada. Back to Canada. Now, let's, yeah. let's you, you come down here. Where are you going back to in Canada? Where, where are you from? Yeah, so I grew up in Vancouver, born and raised there, but I was pastoring in Edmonton right before moving down to Nashville, and I'll actually be going back to that church. And for everyone who is listening and has really no clue of Canadian geography, yeah. where is Edmonton? Well, it, the next stop is Alaska. So, <laughs> are you serious? <laughs> no, 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 not really. But Edmonton is north of Calgary, three hours north of Calgary. Kind of, if you think of the Rockies, 
Yeah. Uh, so think Montana and just keep on going all the way up. Uh, so it's, it's the northernmost populous city in North America, about a million people. And it's, it's very much Edmonton and Calgary are very much like Dallas and Houston. So oil and gas. That's okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. But, but with different weather, <laughs> yes, let's, with just, snow, let's just be clear. Plugs in the parking lot because every car needs a block heater. Yeah. And no American football, <laughs> right? You have, it's Canadian, Canadian football. football. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So field's a little larger and field's a little larger and it's a little faster. <laughs> yeah. And I think there are three downs. I mean, honestly, I don't, like football. So <laughs> after alienating your entire audience. <laughs> yeah. So you're leaving the South. You're going back about as far North as you can go. Pretty much. Uh, why? I mean, why? Uh, you know, what, what, what was it? <laughs> May the Lord haveth his way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's, I, I, so my wife and I, Christina, we, we have three, ch- we have three children and our oldest is about to turn 10, eight and five, right? So this is our 13th year of marriage and God's just brought us all the way. I mean, just a ton of different places. Our entire life we've led, uh, we've really lived our lives with our hands wide open saying, Lord, here we are. And God has kind of moved us around, not necessarily to our liking uh, or <laughs> necessarily our, our planning, but he's uh, moved us around. So even going back to Edmonton is not something that we were thinking about. I mean, we just, as Canadians, we just got our green cards, which for anyone really? who is outside of the States trying to come in the States, I mean, it is a very expensive, long process. So we just got our green cards, but you know what, Brian, last fall, the Lord just started to stir in our hearts we didn't know why, but we just started sensing something was about to change. Uh, and we didn't What did know. that look like? What did that, how, yeah. did, how would somebody listening go, oh, maybe that's what God's doing in my life? What did that look it, like for you guys? There is this sense of, it, it's kind of hard to put words to it, but there's this unsettledness in our heart. Okay. There's a sense of when we would go to the scriptures or when we would pray or when we would hang out with others, just a sense of, oh, like, I, I, it's really hard to put it to words, but just the sense of, man, I think this is not going to last. Really? Yeah. But we don't know. I mean, I didn't know if that was actually from God or not, but it was just the sense that we both had. And we were like, well, maybe, honestly, maybe it's just because Lifeway doesn't have a president right now. Maybe that's why. So logically thinking that's, that's what we were thinking and organizational unsettledness. Maybe that was just, you were just feeling that in your personal life. Yeah. We had no idea, but we were sensing this sense of unsettledness. And then January comes, I go up to my previous church in Edmonton. So Beulah Alliance church. And, and for those, for your listeners, is that a Christian Admission Alliance? Perfect. perfect, And for uh, your listeners who read no silver bullets, a lot of the work, a lot of the stuff that I wrote in that came out of that context. Right. So I went up and preached there and led a staff retreat. And, and that's where, I mean, I had dinner with the lead pastor and he was like, man, I've been here uh, you know, I've, I've a couple of years left to go and I've been here 28 years and I've really been thinking about succession and, and your name's come up and other people have brought up your name. And I was wondering if you, you would begin praying about this. So he says that he kind of drops that bomb over dinner and I You're like, thanks bro. Appreciate yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. I was like, this was all this was going to be was I'm going to preach and lead a staff retreat. That's it. Yeah. Well, he drops that. And then I share with him, well, it's, it's interesting how you say that because I've been sensing this sense of unsettledness in my heart. And then Brian, here's, this, is, this is why we started praying about this. 
He then responds, huh, that's interesting. His name's Keith Taylor. He said, for the last few months, I've been praying that God would unsettle someone's heart. And literally when he said that, I was like, okay, I don't know if this is just a huge coincidence, but a couple of these things, you know, it's, it's aligned up enough that I'm like, okay, we do, we can't just pray about it. You know, like we got to take it seriously. Right. We really do have to yeah. pray and fast yeah. and yeah. come to the Lord through it, uh, through it and, and before it. So that's kind of what. So what did he use to confirm it? What did he use to really kind of cement the, Hey, listen, Daniel, Christina, it's time to put an end to this work. You've done at Lifeway. Great work. And, and things still really in a building process in some levels. Oh yeah but time to go back to Beulah uh, and Edmonton. What was it that, that God used to confirm um, or, or just kind of really cement that? Yeah. So, I mean, what I just shared right there, that's kind of yeah. that spiritual side. Mm-hmm. And I have, do, I have a few other uh, instances where things like that happened, but from a personal calling side, right? And me knowing what I'm called to and the roles where I, what I'm, what I'm strong at, what I'm weak at. And, you know, the older you get, the, the, the more you do in ministry, the more you recognize your sweet spot, right? Right. I mean, that's what you guys are all about and yeah. helping yeah. to find that. So for me, the last five years here at Lifeway, I have loved, and as I've thought about what I've loved most is I, I've, I've loved building something, right? I've loved yeah resourcing pastors. I loved being that number two to a lot of pastors who don't have that number two guy because I'm very systems oriented. So that's really with the consulting that we do with Lifeway Leadership and and with new churches and everything that we've done, it's just really been that sweet spot of helping other church leaders. Now, if I wasn't also a teaching pastor at my church here in town, I don't know if I would have been able to last five years. Really? Because I love preaching. Yeah. So I've preached about, you know, I've been doing about 20, 25 times each year. Now, here's the thing, Brian. When I was like pre-Bula, pre-Edmonton, I was preaching every single week for four years and I hated it. Yeah. At Bula, I preached like six times a year and I hated it too because it was too little. Being here and preaching about 20 to 25 times, I have loved, I have loved that rhythm because it's given me enough. Um, I've, I've been able to, 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 focus on other areas of ministry and building that up, but also pour into preaching. So having, and I honestly, I wouldn't have known that I would have loved and that that would have been a good sweet spot for me if I hadn't done it. Right. Yeah. Cause it's all kind of theoretical. Well, what is 25 times versus 50 times yeah. versus six times. So all that to say there is that going on and then conversations at Lifeway being like, okay, Daniel, what do you want to do next at Lifeway? What does it look like for you to move around or move up or, and me just being in this place where I really love what I'm doing right now because yeah. I, I love church leaders and I love being on the ground with the church and I love preaching. Well, Brian, I mean, most churches, you can't lead a church and only preach 30 times. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what I'm yeah. talking about? Like it's, there's the voice of the shepherd churches. has to be a little yes. bit more consistent and a little bit, yeah. you know. Yeah, there yeah. are very few churches where that's a reality. So for me, I just, you know, lead pastoring was not something that was on the table for me yeah. and not something that I was pursuing at all just because I, knowing what I know about myself, I just don't want to preach 40 plus times a year. Yeah. So when Keith asked if I'd begin praying about it and we started processing what that looked like and the elders brought in an outside consultant and they did work around what a succession look like, who is the profile of our next lead pastor and what is it. When they were doing all of that, they basically came up with this profile where, hey, they want the next lead pastor to be multiplication oriented. 
Yeah. Now, here's the thing, Brian. Beulah has been around for 98 years. The guy who planted Beulah was a missionary, right? Mm-hmm. A missionary. I mean, it's, it's a yeah. long, beautiful well, that's story. The, that's the CMA history, right? Yes. It, is, it is, you know, missionaries. Yes. You know, Huge missionary work. Yeah. They've planted over 60 churches in their founding wow. since in the 98 year history, but nothing recently, nothing much recently. So this is where the elders are like, we want to get back to the heart of multiplication. And this is a profile and, and they're just kind of going down the list. So they yeah. asked, it moved from prayer after they had the, the elders did yeah. a work. Uh, I didn't, I, I didn't go up in hopes for something to happen. It was really the elders who said, okay, this is the profile that we want. This is, and they really did that hard work to process what succession looks like. And then they extended the invite to me and a few others to candidate. And that's kind of what we just kind of then took it step by step by step, praying, processing, asking others who've been through similar situations to discern the whole process. Well, here's what I, here's what I love about this conversation, Daniel, because I, I know that um, that feeling of unsettled happens, yeah. right? I mean, I think every leader, every pastor goes through those seasons where something is, you know, just restlessness. I always, yeah. I always talk about that. There's a restlessness. Yeah, yeah. And, and I, think, I think, you know, on the, as you move through that, the Lord either says, okay, I, I'm going to want you to release you to something else or I want you to recommit to what I've got you here. And that mm-hmm. restlessness really kind of refines that calling back in there. So the reason I was pressing in there was because I believe there's, there's a lot of leaders that come to those seasons of, of restlessness, that, that, that unsettledness, as you said, but how do we know if it's really time to take the next step? How do we know, yeah. you know, and then, and then we look at the, the whole younger generation. Um, and I know, you know, gig economy is close to your heart. I want to talk to that here mm-hmm. in a few minutes, but you know, where it is literally going from one thing, to the next thing, the next thing, the next thing, how do we, how do we know whether we're supposed to be doing that? Or how do we know whether God is actually calling us to something else? Yeah. And so I think those, those moments are pretty important. Um, and hearing from someone else, like the Lord use it. One of the, one of the thoughts I had was, did the unsettledness come as a result of prayer and scripture or did the unsettledness drive you to deeper times of prayer and script? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there is no reason for us to even look around or want to move or anything. Yeah, I mean, you're in the South. And yeah. You're about to move up to the frozen tundra. <laughs> frozen chosen, man. Uh, but seriously, seriously, there is no reason. I mean, Todd Atkins, my boss here, I mean, he's one of the best managers and leaders that I know. And he has just created such a beautiful runway for me to build something here and for us to work together. And I mean, it was, we are having, we are, and we have been having a ton of fun doing ministry and life together. So there is no reason on this side for me to even want to move or think about moving. So it was just I was just going. I was like, man, we just got our green cards. We just did this. I mean, life yeah, is, yeah. The, I, you know, I'm doing a podcast with my wife and that's like, I've been seeing her flourish and grow this past year through that. So like on all aspects, life, it was just beautiful. Amazing. I was like, man, this is just fantastic. And then as we come to the Lord, as we've been, you know, as we started coming to the Lord continually in prayer, that's where we just started sensing that. See, I think, I think, I don't know if this is true. And so this may not be something, but I, I'm wondering if being unsettled on the backside of prayer is more important than being unsettled on the front side. I, I, mm-hmm. I, maybe I don't, maybe I don't agree with that. 
But I do think that if, <laughs> we, if we're thing, spending yeah. time with God in his word and in prayer, yeah. and we walk out of that moment and we feel like he's speaking to our heart in that moment, I think we better listen. Yeah. Um, and, and being unsettled on the front side of time in the word and prayer, I think is good. Yeah, yeah. But I would, I would listen a little bit harder when I come through and I'm finishing with the scripture and stuff and I'm just like, oh God, there's something else here. There's something I'm missing. There's something I'm feeling. Dude, transitions, unsettledness, all of what, what, what it'll teach anyone is patience. Yeah. And there's that, it's, it's real, right? When Saul, uh, right, when Saul did the sacrifice and refused to wait for Samuel, I mean, yeah, we look yeah. at that and we're like, dude, why can't you just wait? Like how long could it have been? And I mean, I don't know how long it was, but really there's that sense of, I just want to grab hold of my life and make a decision, right? Yeah. It was six months. It was a six month process from January to June where we were walking through this emotionally up and down spiritually yeah. Just this idea of I need to stay engaged here. I have commitments. I was still finishing up my the next book. Like it was just like life was going on regardless of what this transition was. And here's the thing: at the end of it all, right at the end of May is when they called me up and offered us to to come back. Okay, a couple of days before this, beautiful book, The Next Right Thing by Emily P. Freeman. Right, it's a it's a beautiful book about discernment and transition. And I was reading it. And here's, I, I loved, I, I can't quote it specifically, but here's the gist of what she said. In a period of transition, the decision is not actually the point. In mm-hmm. moments of transition, what is happening to you, to those around you, and to your relationship with God in and through the discernment? And if in the discernment and in the seasons of waiting, you are drawing near to the Lord, and your marriage is growing, your family's growing, your relationships are growing, and you are growing in righteousness and growing closer to the Lord. That is the point of- That's the work that he wants to do. Yeah. The decision doesn't even matter if that is what's happening versus, right? Versus if instead of, you know, these feelings of consolation, you're getting feelings of desolation and and you are growing in anxiety and and wanting to take control of your life and and growing in, you know, just being bitter or this or that. I mean, that's then, yeah. Okay. What's going on in your heart? It's a little bit of that Paul saying in whatever you do. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You know, it's, so it's, it's like, it's less important is to just kind of where your feet are and more important is to where your heart is. Yeah. In, in the pursuit of God in that. And, and I don't know if I had to get to that point before God gave us the answer. I don't know if that's what it was or if it was just in the sense of, hey, I'm reading this great book and you know, this stood out to me and, and we were cl- getting close to hearing the decision. But, but we really got to the point where a couple of days before we got the call, God really cemented in my heart and in Christina's heart, hey, it actually doesn't really matter. Doesn't matter if we stay. Doesn't matter if we go because we know that we're in God's hands and that yeah. he is a good father. He is a gracious father. He is going before us, that he is not going to give us a stone when we ask for bread, right? And we need to trust that that is like, he is a generous father, but what would it look like to submit to him rather than trying to lead our lives on our own? So is that what you would kind of say to a pastor out there in that, in that moment, kind of mm-hmm. wrestling with that same thing? If you could say one thing, just kind of that one kind of kind of poignant statement to yeah. that person, would that be what it is or what, how would you say it? Yeah. So this, if, if anyone's going through transition right now, 
and you're praying about change and all this, here's my word for you. If you feel like this is a opportunity that will never come around again, and you have to take it because if you don't take it, then this will happen, this will happen, this, and you're going to miss out, then I want to ask you to to check your motives. (laughs) That's the word. And I've, that's out of personal experience. I love it. And every Enneagram seven just stopped the podcast right there. So <laughs> no, dude, it's, it's, it's legit, right? I mean, that's yeah. Eugene Peterson's book, the, his memoir, his pastor. That's a beautiful book that you, that every pastor should read. And I remember him just saying this, this, this very poignant letter. He wrote a letter to his friend, right? Where he was saying, Hey, I know there's this temptation to just keep on going to the bigger church. And it's like climbing the pastoral career ladder. And it's like, oh, this bigger church has just offered me a position to come. Obviously, that's God, right? Obviously, that's God. And sometimes we don't even pray about it because it's a bigger church. It's a bigger salary. It's a bigger town. And it's, you know, we're going to run away from our problems. But opportunities like that, bigger and better opportunities like that aren't necessarily always from God. Hmm. I think he called it long obedience in the same direction, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes God calls us to minister in obscurity for however long he wants. And sometimes he brings us out of that obscurity, but that's not something that I think we need to grab hold of and lead on our own. What's one thing you've learned uh, in your work with newchurches.com and, Mm. you know, in that multiplication, as you served in that, as you said, the second chair role alongside pastors and leaders, you know, from an outside, I mean, at Oxano, we call it strategic outsiders, right? Yeah, the people I love that have term. the outsider's mind, but an insider's heart. Um, what's one thing you've learned that's transferable to a, a, a pastor who may be listening to this right now? Yeah, yeah. Breaking barriers is such a huge, I mean, every, it's, it, everyone loves it, right? I mean, yeah. if, uh, yeah, if 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 BuzzFeed was Christian, they would have everything breaking barriers on it because it's a headline that grabs. I mean, everyone wants like the two hundred barrier, the four hundred barrier. Exactly. You know, exactly right. So there's there a certain lot. Christian thought leaders who are <laughs> kind of building a complete industry on breaking the one hundred and fifty barrier or the two hundred barrier. Yeah, you know. and and here's the thing: I love the advice that they give, and it's really good advice, and it's it's very helpful advice as well. But if we're not careful, if we're not careful, you might be a church of fifty, and you're trying to break that two hundred barrier, and you are operating as a pastor of a two hundred person church when you have to operate as a pastor of a fifty person church mm-hmm. if you have fifty people with you. And that's probably the biggest thing that I found structure being a structure systems guy. If we over structure, right. So even when it comes to leadership pipeline and the work that life with leadership does, right. I mean, there's volunteer leader, coach, ministry director, yeah, yeah. senior leader in our competency chart. We took out the coach level because of churches. If you're a church of under 500 people, that is over structuring. You don't need the coach level. If you're under 500, broadly across the church. The first area that you would really need it is your small group ministry, but it's yeah. not completely across the church. But if you got five small groups, you don't need a coach, right? Well, I mean, it's, you don't need a one coach that that's their hundred percent of their job. Yeah, and yeah. you know what I'm talking about? Like, it's yeah. just, it's over structuring. So I guess that's the thing. If you're a church of 50 or if you're a church of a hundred, if you're a church of 150, I have no 
qualms about doing the breaking barrier courses. Yeah. I mean, I love the material, but don't operate like that thousand church pastor that you are looking up to, that you are learning from, that you are reading from, and that is what their life is like. I mean, in the Five Leadership Questions podcast, we learn about leaders' rhythms. Yeah. If you're a church of a hundred you're leading a church of a hundred. You can't live your week the way the church of a thousand person pastor leads their week. But isn't that opposite of what like we've learned through the years of all these leadership gurus lead the church. You want to be not the church. You are structured to staff to where, you know, if you don't staff ahead, if you don't have staff for 200 people, then you're only going to, you know, you're saying the opposite. Yeah. Well, you got it. Yeah. Slightly ahead slightly ahead. So you're saying don't jump to 200, maybe 75. Yeah, dude, here's the thing. If you have a church of under 100, you are the pastor. You need to have ministry directors. You need to, but you can't just preach and go to your office and not talk to people after the service. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like you can't, you, you can't have an entourage and, and just be, oh, I'm too busy. Check my calendar. Check my, you work with my assistant to get to me. Right. And I, and I'm not saying that that's a bad thing for a church of, you know, if you're a church of 500 or a thousand that, that you need to have that around you, but, but dude, you got to be personable and even a church of a thousand, you need to be personable. And I know a lot of pastors who are pastoring large churches who are very personable, but boundary wise, they need to set up different rhythms and schedules because they can't meet with every single person in their church. But there's a little bit of a necessity at certain scale. Yeah. To, to really need to meet with every person, especially if you're going to grow them, especially if you're thinking in terms of a, of a, of a discipleship pathway yeah. and really kind of, cause you're the one, right? Yeah. So, and so that, that's where being, you know, moving from doing to equipping matters. Yeah. So that's where if you're in this smaller size in a smaller size and you're like, Hey, I do want to keep on growing. Well, if you, regardless of the barrier that you want to grow or break through, you need to move from doing to equipping. I mean, that's a, yeah. you need to move from being a learner to a leader to a multiplier, regardless of what barrier you want to break through. So if you're at 80, if you're at 175, when you do that pastoral meeting or when you meet with a coach or when you meet with a leader, always bring someone with you and equip them and lead them. I mean, that's a, that's a foundational part of a leadership pipeline it's not the leadership pipeline, but it's a part of it. It's a practice that is helpful within it. So what does it look like for you to not just do everything, but move toward equipping? Yeah. Yeah. So don't, don't run too far ahead. Still stay ahead. Mm -hmm. You're still okay with that. Yeah, for sure. Just don't try to be, you know, five times, 10 times. Exactly. You know, now you can dream about it, but you still got to, you still got to lead the church you have. What's the biggest challenge you've seen Besides that one, pastors struggling with in that, let's just say that sub 500 member range uh, through your work with new churches, through your work with, with Lifeway Leadership, what's the biggest struggle you've seen or the biggest breakthrough that you've seen happen as a result? Yeah, the biggest struggle is going back to a little bit of what we just talked about, this idea of copying, yeah, idea of learning from others, which is great, reading books, yeah. Courses, yeah. all really good stuff. but it's this, this tension or this tendency that we have in the West to copy and to, and to model our ministries after others rather than looking in the mirror and seeing, okay, who do we have here? Yeah. Right. Like so you would say that every church is unique. Is that what you might suggest there? <laughs> Ooh, I like how you did that, Brian. <laughs> 
<laughs> right? So every, yeah, every church is unique. So what does it look like to look at yourself in the mirror, to look at your church in the mirror, look at how you are as a leader. So that's why even if you look at all throughout No Silver Bullets, I mean, that very first chapter, right, which is free on my site just to peruse, I mean, it is literally assessment after assessments and audits yeah. so that you can just learn, okay, who is it that we are so that we can actually take that next step? So yeah. for churches under 500, don't just copy, but understand that there's actually this paradigm where every church has a vision and they're, you know, this is where you want to go to. And that's that God-given great commission, great commandment. You guys do amazing work around that. I mean, I don't know anyone else. And I've worked with a lot of different organizations. I don't know anyone else who does vision and vision clarity as well as you guys. Um, so there's that vision piece. So we need to have that clarity of vision. But what do you do to get to that vision? Well, strategy. And the clearest way that I can articulate that is every church's strategy is a combination of your discipleship pathway or your leadership pipeline, your discipleship yeah. pathway or leadership pipeline. In other words, what are you Moving doing people. to equip the saints? Yeah. For the work of ministry. And also that's the pipeline side and the discipleship pathway is moving people toward Christ. How one church differs from the others are your values, right? Yeah. So for a church of under 500, recognizing those pieces, what I often consult a lot around is the values piece, Yeah, right? It's about, because if you're copying someone else, you copy that program, you copy what works really well, you are copying their values, but that those values may actually be opposite yeah. to your values. So what are your core values in the church? We like to say that um, values are really those shared convictions. Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of talk about culture in the church world today, culture building, culture this. And culture yeah. is simply the result of consistent decision-making around shared convictions. I love that. Like the culture of yeah, your church really is complete. The culture of your home, the culture of your family it's simply the result of consistent decision-making around shared convictions. And that, so come back to the values. You know, it's one thing for the pastor to, to have values. It's another yeah. thing for those values to be shared or in the organization and for us to make consistent decisions around them. Yeah. And so I think that's, that's huge. If you were going to unpack uh, no silver bullets in about, you know, two or three sentences, for the pastor or church leader who hasn't, you know, come into contact with it, hasn't read it yet, how would you define that for them? Yeah, it's essentially a book that's going to help you. Uh, there is the clarity piece, but it's going to help you develop a discipleship pathway mm. where discipleship is not just here's another program, right? Or here's another study, but what is it in your entire church? Like, how are you moving your entire church toward making disciples that make disciples that make disciples? And just by going and using small groups or this study or that study is not going to do it. So yeah. the end goal is here. By the end, by the last chapter, if you work through the exercises and the audits and the assessments and everything that I have in there here, you're going to be well on your way to developing a discipleship pathway that doesn't wholly rely on you. That's, that's the, contextualized to your yes, culture. Very contextualized. And doesn't rely on just one point person in order to be exactly. uh, operational. Yeah. And it's not a, here is what I did and just copy what I did. Yeah. It's, it's going to help you work through it. So that's the end. But to I get, think there's a lot of books out there that yeah. are that, here's what we do at our church. Just oh, yeah. do this. That's and the, and yeah. it's great. And I think it you is. can learn from them. But I, I think, you know, again, it's maybe just new five purposes. Yeah. Right? It's just a new skinning of kind of that whole, uh, and a generation from now, we're going to look back and go, 
you know, maybe there was multiple ways we could have made disciples other than just, you know, kind of this one model or this one form. Yeah. Yeah. So the end is, okay. Okay. What, what works in your context? How do you, how can you become more intentional around this? But that's why, you know, all the chapters before that, it's going to lead you toward what are the small things, right? That's why the subtitle is five small shifts. What are the five small things that you can begin shifting and changing micro changes? Uh, What are the micro shifts that'll actually lead to a macro change? So really the, that's the how you, right size portion of that, right? Yeah, Maybe yeah completely. And that book came out a couple of years ago now. And I know <laughs> you have another one on the horizon, yeah. early 2020. Is that correct? Yeah, February, February 2020. Tell us about that one. What can we look forward to? No Silver Bullets is, is amazing. Uh, you're going to continue the amazing streak there or what? <laughs> no pressure. I don't, I don't know if you can really determine that beforehand, but... <laughs> I mean, No Silver Bullets is really focused on church leaders and, and yeah. pastors, right? Yeah. Uh, this next book is, uh, it's, it's those you're preaching to. It's your congregation. It's your neighbors. So the book title is You Are What You Do and Six Other Lies About Work, Life, and Love. Wow. Yeah. So the subtitle is incredibly important. Otherwise, I get yeah. weird looks when they're like, uh, Daniel, what? I thought it was what I eat. <laughs> I thought I was who God says I was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the book is You Are What You Do. So I, I, I talk about these seven lies that have actually risen to the surface that affect every single one of us. And it's these seven lies. The reason these seven lies have particularly risen to the surface is because of the proliferation of the, of the side hustle. Yeah. Because the side hustle, the gig economy. So here's, here's a really Everybody's good Everybody's got a hustle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So here's a good illustration. Amazon Prime. How many, like you just, Amazon, like who doesn't have Amazon Prime, right? Like, like you just kind of assume everyone has Amazon Prime, right? Yeah. Like my parents have Amazon Prime. (laughs) My dad is addicted to Amazon Prime. (laughs) Now, the reality is not everyone has Amazon Prime, but half of America has Amazon Prime. And and the other half are psychopaths. (laughs) Or they're using their friends or family members' Amazon yeah. Prime accounts. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and their Netflix account. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. just to give you an idea, Amazon Prime, when we think of Amazon Prime, it's like, oh, everyone has Amazon Not everyone does, but it seems like everyone does. Well, when it comes to the gig economy and people having a side hustle, right? More than one job, a side thing. Now, sometimes we think side hustles like Uber or Airbnb and, and that does fall into it. But if you just have multiple jobs you fit into the gig economy, right? So close to 40% of America is a part of the gig economy. They have a side hustle. In Canada, it's getting up to that amount. Australia, the UK, it is. And it's just growing year over year over year. So what I talk about in the book is, hey, guys, hello, everyone. Uh, Everyone has Amazon Prime. That's great, right? We see how it's completely changed the industry of books, diapers, shopping, brick and mortar, it's completely changed. I mean, it is 50% is a big number. Well, how can, I mean, I mean, would we be, are, are we so ignorant to think that the gig economy is not actually also changing the way that we look at like uh, work, life and love? Mm. I mean, especially when it's that number of people, here's the thing, it's the new credit card, right? It's, oh, the number of people that I've met that work multiple jobs because they want to go on an extra vacation. 
Yeah. Right. Or they're like, well, don't you feel lazy when you're sitting at home and scrolling on Instagram when you need to, when you could rather go work another job or do something online or do this and, and, and hustle so that you can or feel guilty if you're not right. Yeah, exactly. Right. I mean, that's how it's, that's the new normal, the gig economy, the side hustle is the new normal. So in the book, I basically talk about seven lies that this has actually begun to feed our souls and our minds and how it's beginning to, to shift and, and shape us. So, so Brian, um, here's my, as I wrote the book, this was my big prayer request that this would be a book that people would give their friends who don't, it would be an evangelistic book. Yeah. Book yeah. People give their friends who don't know Jesus because a kind of a bridge about, book. Yeah. Because about 60 to the first 60 to 70% of every single chapter has no Bible in it. Hmm. And that's, I, I wrote it very intentionally like that with the editors where it was like, no, here's the lie. Here's where, here, here's what it is. Here's why it doesn't really, you know, come, here's why it's not really good to believe in or, or how it breaks down. And then at the end is, here's what the Bible says about it. Here's a different way. Yeah. Here's a, you know, Tim Keller, here's a third way all the way to the last chapter, which is you are your past is the lie. Mm-hmm. And then I actually do a gospel presentation where it's, Hey, what does it look like? I mean, Jesus brings about beauty from the ashes. So that's, that is my prayer. My prayer is that people would come to know the Lord through this, that non-Christians would come to know the Lord through this, that the unchurched would, but also that Sunday Christians and even people who believe this line, right? Passionate followers of Christ, pastors would read this and be like, okay, what do I need to shift? What do I need to change? So that's my prayer for it. Yeah, that's, that's, that's powerful. Can you, can you walk through the seven? Are you ready to release those? <laughs> publicly yet? Are those seven it's, lies out there? It's, it's a little early. It's a okay. little early. Yeah. But you gave us two of them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. You're, are you bending my arm here? No, I mean, I, it's, you know, this is, it just depends on how good you want your podcast to be. <laughs> All right, man. Okay. So the first chapter, right? The first chapter is you are what you do. Yeah. Just give right. us one other one. Just give okay. us one other. What's your one other favorite chapter? Okay. Uh, you are what you experience. Mm. Just think Iceland. Who in the world wanted to go visit Iceland 20 years ago? I mean, the only yeah. thing I remembered about Iceland 20 years ago was the Mighty Ducks and how they played a team. You know the movie? How they played a team from Iceland. It all comes back to <laughs> hockey with you Canadians. <laughs> it is, it does, right? But Iceland. Well, yeah, dude, man, you are what you experience is this lie that's just so risen to the surface because of Instagram and because of our culture. Yeah. It's yeah. just, yeah, it's more about what you experience and what you have. So that's another one of them. I love it. Hey, listen, I, I asked three questions at kind of the end of every podcast of every guest and uh, just kind of want to land the plane with us there on that. What's one daily or regular habit you practice that keeps you close to the heart of God? Hmm. No matter how busy I am, I'm always getting into the scriptures. Yeah. And what sometimes it look like for you. Yeah. Um, if I have the time, well, when I make the time, uh, it's, it's with a journal. So I'm yeah. reading the scriptures and I'm actually writing out my prayer side by side with the scriptures, writing the scriptures, kind of my prayer of the scriptures out because yeah. that allows me to slow down. Otherwise I'm just going, my, my brain's just going too fast. So that's like in the box. Ideal. Yeah. That's Is that in the morning for you in the evening. Yeah. It's it very, the yeah, it's yeah. the morning. No. Yep. That's, I, I always try to make time. If I don't, then, and I'm not, and I, and I can't have time because I woke up too late or this or that or the other, I'll usually spend time in a proverb or yeah. Psalm and, and just kind of pray through that. Yeah. 
I get that on, on a plane and yeah. just kind of have a, have a moment. You're not really, you're not really getting all the studies out and all those things, but you are sitting there and saying, okay, God, what do you want to yeah. say to me today? What do I need to be listening to and yeah. for? It's good. That's huge. Number two, if you could go back to your first year of ministry and tell yourself one thing, what would it be? Oh, slow down and stop thinking too much of yourself. Okay. <laughs> also invest in heavy coats and don't sell them when you move to Nashville. <laughs> yeah, right. Enjoy the city life. <laughs> yeah, so no, slow down. Yeah, or- slow down, slow down. I mean, it's, I, and I, it's, it's one of those, those things where I just had a ton of ambition mm. and it's, it's something that God has to, had to really check in my heart and, and chisel out of my heart and still has to chisel, chisel out of my heart. But it's one of those, those things that I just need to continue to, to lay down before. I mean, I mean, I'm an Enneagram three, right? An Enneagram yeah. three wing four. So for your listeners who know something about the Enneagram, they could probably resonate with that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a seven. You may find that hard to believe yeah. <laughs> based on the, based on the meandering, meandering nature of this podcast. Um, but no, yeah, I, I know plenty of threes and they keep me honest. Yeah. Um, is there one book that you consistently recommend or give as a gift other than no silver bullets and don't say the Bible? <laughs> yeah. Strengthening the soul of your leadership by Ruth Haley Barton. Why? Yeah. I mean, I've given away hundreds of copies of that. It's, it's, maybe it's because I'm an Enneagram three. Maybe it's because of the season of life that I read it in, but it's just one of those books where it's leadership and I love leadership books, but it goes deep into the soul. And so Ruth Haley Barton, I don't know if I should say this publicly, but I guess I am. Uh, I, I kind of see her as like a mix between a Richard Foster and a John Maxwell in female form. <laughs> Right. So very incredibly leadership minded, yeah, deeply spiritual. Mm. And so she actually works through the, the life of Moses in that book. It's incredible. Yeah. It's pretty amazing to, to think of that. And in, in, I know our listeners are going to connect with that. I also am trying to picture her voice now that you said yeah. that. <laughs> because <laughs> that may be the weirdest, the weirdest piece of all of that. Hey, Daniel, listen, blessings uh, as you navigate this next season and move back um, north, yeah. back to Canada and, you know, all that that has entailed. I know God's going to use it in a big way. We're looking forward to February. We'll be sure to um, uh, re, re, maybe even repost this uh, podcast at that time then. Cool. It's been a pleasure to have you on My Ministry Breakthrough. Thanks for a little bit of time today and uh, we look forward to seeing what God's going to do. Thanks. Thank you for listening to My Ministry Breakthrough from the Oxano Podcast Network. You can head over to myministrybreakthrough.com to join the conversation and access our show notes, including the books or other resources mentioned in this episode. If you enjoy hearing these stories of ministry breakthrough, we would be honored if you would subscribe, rate, and even leave a review on iTunes or your preferred podcast provider. Thanks again for listening.